0: Hello and welcome to the House of Legends, where you can hear world myths and legends told by professional storytellers. If you're a new listener, welcome, thank you very much for joining us, and if you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, then you can hit subscribe now in your podcast app maybe, to make sure you don't miss an episode. On this podcast, you'll hear ancient stories told by myself and master storytellers from across the world. Stories which were once told in fire-lit caves and forests, in fishing huts and feasting halls. These stories are the hard-won wisdom of our ancestors, passed on in a way which ensures they won't be forgotten. They're as relevant and as precious now as they ever were. As well as being an oral storyteller, I'm also a best-selling author and creative coach. I write collections of myths and legends, as well as fantasy inspired by myths and legends. I coach aspiring storytellers through my Mythsingers program, a year-long online Celtic storytelling apprenticeship, and I also offer book coaching for writers as well as mindset coaching. You can learn more about all of the above and download my free ebook Silverborn at houseoflegends.me. At the time of recording, we are coming up on May 1st, which is when I open up registration for the next Mythsingers group, uh, which starts on October 31st. So if you've been thinking about joining, do make sure to get on my mailing list so you can keep up to date on that. On this episode, I want to share a story I originally recorded for my patrons back in, I believe, 2021. The story has been really present with me since then, partly because it's part of my show, I Would Drink of Your Heart's Blood, which is a fusion of Greek myth and Celtic legend, and which I've been performing fairly often recently. And anyway, this story just felt like it belonged on the main podcast, I really wanted to share it with all of you, so here it is. The story is The Hounds of Actaeon. I believe it's one of the very first Greek myths that I encountered as a child and it made a huge impression on me, a shock which I can still remember. I think that on one level I just couldn't understand the story. The events were so far from the neat moralizing that I was used to encountering in children's stories, in modern children's stories that I would read. And at the same time, I like to think that something in me perhaps sensed that I was encountering something other, perhaps something far greater than me, something far beyond my tiny understanding, something that I was just simply not prepared for and could not handle, just as Acteon finds in this story. Or perhaps I was just completely baffled, I don't know. Anyway, here we have it, the Hounds of Acteon. Actaeon gazed at the goddess. He closed his eyes and offered his prayer. Lion-eyed lady of the silver moon, your shield shines over the silent forest. Dark star maiden, bearskin dreamer, your arrows are falling across the stars. Bless my hunt today, O huntress. Put wraiths of hunger in the bellies of my hounds. Lend me your eyes to pierce the shadows, to see as you see, all darkness dispelled. He opened his eyes. He wondered, as he'd wondered on a hundred mornings, if the goddess really liked such statues, or if in fact she hated being captured in cold stone. For she was not stone, she was air, she was the wind, she was the arrow singing through the wind, she was life. His eyes wandered over the temple walls, lit by lamps in the dark of the morning. Here was her hunting companion Callisto, whom the goddess turned into a bear after Callisto slept with Zeus. Here was the giant boar she sent to ravage Caledon after the people there failed to worship her. Some people called her cruel, even childlike for such deeds. Unbending, unsubtle. Vengeful. Actaeon knew the truth. He left the temple. His hounds were waiting outside, and they sang their rough and joyful song as he joined them, and they ran together, away from the temple at the edge of the town, into the true temple, the forest. They went on running for a while, Actaeon's blood warming, his muscles loosening as Helios took to the sky in his sun chariot. And eventually, after a while, Akteon slowed. Now it was time for his true prayer. He stood still. He closed his eyes, breathed deeply. And Action emptied himself of himself. Acteon flowed from himself like rain loose by clouds, like a wineskin squeezed until not one more drop will fall. Acteon the hunter, Acteon who never feasted with the other hunters, Acteon who never lingered in the marketplace with a wagging tongue, Acteon who kept to his house, Acteon who kept to his hounds, his forest, Acteon who had a mother, Acteon who had a father, who had skin, who had fingernails, all gone. Acteon emptied himself of Acteon, and filled himself with her. He opened his eyes. His eyes were her eyes. His breath was her breath and her breath was the winds that stirred the maple leaves. The silver of the birch was the silver of her bow. Just as he imagined, a merchant must move like a spider through the web of the marketplace feeling the thrum of trading, the currents of price, value, greed, desire. So the forest spoke to him now in a language of flattened grass, tufts of fur, gossiping birds and broken branches. He was the forest and he knew that this way lay his prey. So that way he went. He threaded his way through black pine and beech and oak and ash. Alive to the echoes of wolf and bear and lion and fox that whispered among the branches. Onwards he and his hounds went, guided by the goddess until there. A stag. Closer he drew. Closer. It sensed something. Lifted its head. Spotted him. It dashed away. And so it began. His hounds raced after the stag. He raced after the hounds. It led him farther and deeper, deeper and farther into the forest. It led him running, splashing through rivers and streams, up and down steep valleys and hills, up into the mountains. And he ran as it ran, never missing a step, tired but never slowing. This was why Callisto had been punished. This was why the boar had been sent to Caledon. This was why the goddess was unbending. A hunter must give all of himself, not keeping back an ounce of strength, not losing focus for a fraction of a moment, for then the prey is lost, then the boar sow is stumbled upon and a stomach is torn open by sharp tusks. So Action kept on going, on and on and on, over ground that grew rougher and rockier and steeper, and the baying of his hounds grew ever more distant ahead of him all through the day until even Achtion was finally forced to stop and admit defeat this time. Where was he? He looked around. Birch trees, loam and leaves, stones underfoot, sharp mountain air. He wasn't lost. No, 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 he wasn't lost. He was perhaps a little uncertain as to where exactly he was, but what was that? It wasn't, it couldn't be. No one came this far out, and if they did, then they certainly didn't sing. But someone was nearby. Someone, some woman was nearby, singing. And her song stole his breath. It stole his sense, stole his body, for now he was walking towards the source of the song, through the trees, up a little stony gully, through a bubbling mountain stream. The song grew clearer. it was not one singer but a chorus of voices, and the sound was like a clear spring in a deep cave littered with centuries of dust and bones. Achtion felt as if he was awakening from a lifelong dream. A dream he dreamed every moment of his life as he reached the top of the gully. The song soared so close now, and he was tempted to run and laugh like a child, but his instincts took over, and he stayed quiet, slipping through the maples like a shadow. It was noon now. Helios had driven his flaming chariot to the roof of the sky, and the world was quiet and still, save for the song. Akhtion, bent down low, crept forward and stared. He saw a pool surrounded by long grass and fir trees, their cocooning branches hanging over the water. He saw women swimming in the water or standing in the shallows, sitting on the banks, and he knew with a certainty brute no doubt that these were Naiads, immortal and eternal as was the song they sang in the grass at the pool's edge a silver bow sleeping in the sunlight a pack of hounds and in the middle of them all Beneath the waterfall, the water crashing around her, her eyes closed and her fingers in her hair as she washed off the dirt of the morning, her naked, sun-bronzed body burning itself into his eyes as if he pressed his face against the sun itself. Her. Goddess. Artemis. The sun and moon shattered in the sky. The world ended and began again a thousand times before Actaeon could even breathe. This was the goddess. This was Artemis. And just to see her was to know eternity, to step outside of time and to know all things. All the music in the world was singing in the air. Every bear and lion and red-toothed beast that had ever hunted roared in his bones. He walked in silence for all of time by a sea beyond the farthest stars. Titans, chained in Tartarus, screamed in his skin. Atlas had let go of the sky, and it was crashing down a random, and he did not care, for he was her, and she was the thunder, the sky and the storms, every tree and every forest, and every leaf on every tree, and every ant on every leaf, and all these things he knew as he looked at her, and yet none of them mattered, for all that mattered was her skin, and the curves of her flesh her dark hair hanging down over her breasts, and he knew with the certainty of stones of st- stones and stars that he must go to her, slide into the water, press himself against her and kiss her, and... Artemis looked up. She saw Achtion. Her eyes met his eyes. She screamed, and her hounds leapt up, barking, and faster than Actaeon's eyes could follow, she had leapt from the water, she had wrapped her bare skin tunic around her, and she had leapt upon him, throwing him down, and now stood over him, dripping full of rage. You saw me. You spied upon me. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I did not mean to. I, I did not know you were here. Please... I, I have always been your your devoted servant, but please spare me. The huntress stared down at Actaeon. Your words are true. You have always been devoted. So I will say this. You may go, but if you ever speak of what you saw here, if you ever speak another word at all, that one word will be... You're last. Akhtion opened his mouth to thank her and thought better of it. She stood back. He got to his feet and he turned and scurried away, stumbling through the trees down the gully. He looked around. He understood now which way to go, so that way he went. Never before had he felt such a desire to go home, to be by his fire, to hold a cup of wine, to even perhaps go out and talk with some other people, just distance himself from the terror in his stomach. In the distance, he heard his hounds barking. Oh, the relief he felt. Here, he called out and stopped. He realised his mistake. And in that instant, he felt all his bones break and twist. He screamed in pain but the scream was not a scream but a kind of bark and he went barking and bleating as fur sprouted from his skin and antlers clawed through his skull and twisted into the darkening air. He heard the barking of his hounds louder now and out, cried out to them they would help him but his new body knew better. It leapt up and ran away from the barking that was growing ever more blood frenzied. It ran and ran, he ran and ran, but he could see them slipping through the trees at his side. they were ahead of him now, they were closing him in, they were driving this way and that, until teeth sank into his hind legs and he was dragged to the ground. And then Arcas, his dearest hound, came dashing out of the trees towards him. Arcas leapt at him, And in his last moments, Achtion looked into Arcas's eyes, and he saw not the eyes of a hound, but the eyes of Artemis. And as those teeth closed upon his throat, he bleated out his final prayer. For what better fate could a hunter hope for than to be meat in the belly of his god? So, I hope you enjoyed the story. I find it very interesting this question of was Acteon dead the moment that he saw Artemis bathing because he had simply seen too much of her? Or was it more to do with his desire? Acteon is normally presented as being a very proud individual. So perhaps that makes the story a bit more like the story of Arachne, in which Arachne is this very proud young girl who thinks she's better, a better weaver than Athena. But as I reflected on the story, I found myself wondering what if he wasn't proud? What if he was actually totally devoted to Artemis? And perhaps in some way that drew him to her, drew her to him, led to their meeting. And what might that be? to be devoted to the goddess and to then see her and desire her for that very mortal feeling of desire to mix with the feeling of devotion and I don't think I have an answer to that but I thought it really fun to explore that within this story. I'd love to hear your thoughts. That's all for this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast please support it by sharing it on social media or even sharing the link with a few friends who enjoy a good story. I'd also really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, as reviews really help the podcast to grow. Thanks for listening. See you next time.